What Makes a Great Leader? In the podcast series, 12 O'Clock High, a podcast on business leadership, I explore this topic with Richard Lummis. We take a look at examples from history, from business, from current events, and even from the movies. If you're interested in all in business leadership, whether you're a CEO or whether you're a middle manager, this is the podcast series for you. We take a look at presidents and everyone in between. I hope you will check us out. 12 o'clock high. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'd like to welcome you to Compliance Into the Weeds, a podcast where with Matt Kelly, the coolest guy in compliance, founder and editor of Radical Compliance, we take a deep dive into the weeds of a compliance or compliance-related topic. Today, we take up the recent proposed reforms to the FCPA whistleblower program. We had originally envisioned this as a two-part episode where we would discuss the proposed reforms as they've been articulated by the Securities and Exchange Commission. And then on Wednesday, October 23rd, the commission had scheduled a meeting to vote on these reforms. However, rather mysteriously, the meeting has been rescheduled for November. It's unclear why that meeting was rescheduled. Nevertheless, Matt and I think it may be of some significance. In this podcast, we take a specific look and take a deep dive into the proposed reforms, what they might mean for the compliance practitioner, and what they might mean for the SEC whistleblower program going forward. Compliance Into the Weeds is a production on the Compliance Podcast Network and a proud member of C-Suite Radio. Thanks for listening. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, Compliance Evangelist and the voice of compliance, back again with Matt Kelly, the coolest guy in compliance, for another episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. Then we're going to take a look at some proposed whistleblower reforms, which were announced by the SEC last week. Um, So, Matt, uh, you want to set the stage for us? Yeah, sure, Tom. So it is not often that we have breaking news while in the weeds, but that is the case this week. So last week, the SEC announced that they would be holding an open meeting this week on Wednesday, October 23rd to vote on reforms to their whistleblower awards program. Um, Those proposed reforms, we can get into them in a minute, they were actually proposed nearly 18 months ago. And then um, they were came out, I want to say in May of 2018, people commented on them all through the summer, all through most of 2019. And then they were supposed to be voted on, on October 23rd. And then suddenly this morning, on Monday, October 21st, the SEC suddenly said they are going to cancel that meeting and postpone it until November. Um, we can speculate as to why, and I have some speculation. But uh, so as of right now, suddenly these proposed reforms, which have never been popular among the usual constituencies who like whistleblower investigations and awards, um, that had been getting more and more press lately, and uh, you know now suddenly we have seen at the 11th hour the SEC has postponed this for a couple of weeks at least. So why don't we uh, go through uh, the uh, proposed reforms and uh, maybe see if any make sense, don't make sense, or where they might take us. Sure. So these were the reforms that were proposed in May of 2018. They may all be the same. They may be somewhat different. Like we might have seen a somewhat different set of final proposals this week, next month, whenever. Um, But here's what it originally was. And to the best of our knowledge, it perhaps probably still is. Uh, Biggest thing was 
setting a cap of $30 million on large whistleblower awards. Um, and that was going to be done through a formula. A certain percentage could not exceed 30% over large awards. You, you can do all the math if you took calculus in college. Um, but the practical aspect of it is that a cap of $30 million on large awards. And we have seen several awards larger than that. Um, the SEC was also going to give itself more discretion to dole out what I call larger small awards. So most tips to the SEC are not for Enron scale frauds. They're for relatively small frauds. And you might wind up with a relatively small settlement, say two or three million dollars, and a tipster would get 10% of that. That's like a hundred grand. Um, well, if you're going to risk your whole career for a hundred grand, that may not necessarily be incentive. So the SEC is going to give itself more discretion to award larger awards relative to the total settlement size when it's small like that. And I, I've always thought that made more sense because most awards are going to be small dollar relative terms for smaller frauds. And um, people are still risking their careers for what might not be a significant sum of money. If you make a hundred grand a year and you're going to wipe out your career for the next 15 or 20 years, like, are you going to risk one year's worth of salary to, you know, to, you're going to risk the rest of your career to get one year's worth of salary as a whistleblower bonus that you might not see for years and you might not ever get it. So, okay, that makes sense. Um, the SEC was going to tighten the circumstances by which outsiders could submit tips based on publicly available information. Uh, I call this the Harry Markopoulos rule because he was the outside analyst who figured out Bernie Madoff was running a Ponzi scheme and he submitted that banging his head against the wall for the SEC in the 2000s. Please investigate Bernie Madoff, and they never did. Um, there is a cottage industry of venture capitalists investing with law firms in whistleblower complaints and allegations, and then you submit a tip, and then they get a portion of whatever you get, and a lot of people might say that is a bit of a racket. The SEC wanted to tighten up eligibility for people like that, really leaving the whistleblower program intended for its uh, target audience of insiders who are reporting wrongdoing companies might not ever otherwise disclose or the SEC might not ever find out. Um, and then last, uh, two other small things. Number one, you would have to submit your whistleblower tips in writing. That actually means just fill out the email form. That also never struck me as onerous. And some procedures, more of a technical nature, to accelerate this uh, and streamline the decision process for tips submitted that were probably never going to get an award. And again, I think that's fine because if you're submitting a tip hoping you'll get a payout or complain whistleblower protections or anything else, and you're not going to because unknown to you, the SEC was already aware of it or something like that, the sooner the SEC can tell you, look, nice try, but no dice the better, because then you can get on with your life. And you know that you might not be protected uh, because your tip was not an actual tip. So all of this makes a lot of sense, except for that $30 million cap on large awards. That is by far the most controversial thing. Um, but that's the proposals as of last we heard. And who knows what we might actually see whenever the open meeting does happen. Now, one of the things that has always befuddled me in this list of proposed reforms is the first one the cap on awards of uh, $30 million. I've been trying to figure out 
which constituency would want a cap on awards? Is it just the kind of the general U.S. Chamber of Commerce that doesn't want to uh, to pay out money uh, to people who bring corporate malfeasance forward? Is it uh, corporations who feel that way? Um, it's certainly not the whistleblower bar or the compliance community. Like that's an excellent question, and to the best of my knowledge, I can't figure out who would be the natural constituency to cap large awards. So these awards are percentages that the SEC decides after a settlement with a company has already happened. So you, the company, you're not going to pay any less because the whistleblower gets less. You know, if you're paying $100 million or $200 million or whatever, you're still paying that. And the taxpayers do not pay these whistleblower awards at all. Uh, the companies pay them. But ultimately, they pay the SEC, and then the SEC decides how much it's going to dole out to the whistleblowers. So show me the constituency that benefits by having a cap on whistleblower awards. Um, it is true that there are some awards that are staggeringly large. I, I want to say, Tom, help me out if you remember, but I think the record is an $83 million reward split one or two or three ways, and there have been one or two that have been north of $50 million dollars. These things don't happen a lot. They do happen. Um, and also, there's a very clear possibility that capping the awards could be challenged in court because the Dodd-Frank Act, which is the statute that allows and creates the whistleblower program, it doesn't say the SEC may cap these awards. It says these awards are 10 to 30 percent of any settlement of a million dollars or more. There's no cap in there. There's no word cap. There's no implicit cap, no anything. I don't know where that came from, um, but that is by far the most contentious thing for reasons I can't necessarily discern why it's even there in the first place. And I guess if I could maybe flip to one of the proposed reforms that I, if not hoped, or rather if not expected, would have hoped to see is something to streamline the decision-making process uh, to actually make an award. Excuse me. Whether it be for multiple claimants or the total quantum of the award, uh, we've had. I think we have a court case now where uh, the tip was made about four or five years ago. So it seems to be a long, drawn-out process to actually uh, get a, a ruling on an award. Uh, that is true, and I don't necessarily know how much these reforms would address that point. Um, I think it is fair to note that for corporate compliance officers, this is not necessarily a interest or concern of yours. Your concern is whether a whistleblower is protected from retaliation under the law, under your good training, under whatever. It is not that the whistleblower is protected and gets a payday from the federal government at the end. Um, that's not your business as a corporate compliance officer. Uh, so if they want to streamline the process of saying, we have your tip, it is a legitimate tip, you can claim protections, we'll get back to you in like 2049 about a whistleblower award. From the compliance officer's point of view, that's fine because the person is protected from retaliation and feels safe, and that's what we want. Um, not necessarily that they get a big payday. If they do, hey, rock on. But, you know, other than that, I don't see why... That is a compliance officer's concern. I don't know if these reforms would really address that. I suspect it takes so long because it's a manpower issue. The SEC has a lot to do and not a lot of staff. It's worth noting that there is legislation pending in the Senate 
that would direct the SEC to, I think, review and give a sense of the whistleblower's status on an award within 12 months of submission. Um, will that language survive and get passed in the Senate? Will it become law? We don't know. What would happen if the uh, SEC said, okay, and you know, we're going to miss it. What are you going to do? Uh, we don't know. Uh, so that issue is valid, and it is a nettlesome one if you're a whistleblower looking to retire early. But um, it, who knows if that's going to be addressed in any useful fashion or not. You started off this uh, episode, Matt, by talking about or mentioning that the hearing, which was scheduled, or the meeting, I should say, scheduled for Wednesday, the 23rd, has been yep. postponed. Any thoughts on why that may have occurred? Uh, several thoughts, and this is largely speculation, but the cancellation notice does say that this meeting has been postponed until November. Uh, it did not say it has been canceled. And then the SEC, specifically Chairman Jake Layden, might try something like they would just adopt the rules on some sort of voice vote without a meeting and present them, and everything is a fait accompli without an open meeting. We don't know if that might happen. I would take the cancellation notice at its word that it's not going to happen. But we have seen the SEC do this maneuver before on other big issues. Um, But I have heard from various people that, uh, number one, the two Democratic commissioners, uh, Robert Jackson and um, Allison Lee, uh, they're not going to vote for this. So – they, J- Commissioner Jackson in particular often does a lot of research, and he has been around for a while, um, at least I think for 12 or 18 months. He has strongly hinted that there is no supporting research to justify this cap, and I would take that if I were a whistleblower lobbyist group as a green light that if Chairman Clayton shoves this into law or shoves this into passage, uh, sue us in federal court. If that is the case, and we don't know it for sure, but you you could easily see somebody being prepared to file suit against these uh, whistleblower reforms if they pass, Chairman Clayton might be looking for an out where they don't set a firm cap, but they give themselves more discretion to uh, adjust a large award downward if they think it's necessary. That might be one way to do it. Um, It does seem like there's no natural constituency for capping the awards. There's a large constituency for not capping them. There is a vocal group out there that has basically said to Chairman Clayton, you do this, we're going to file litigation. Um, So I could see that he is stalling for time while he's looking for a compromise. Uh, It is also entirely possible that this is just a scheduling conflict. Somebody got, I don't know, food poisoning or something like that. Uh, If a Republican commissioner suddenly can't attend then this meeting would die on a 2-2 partisan vote. Uh, So it might be something as simple as that. But I do think, I suspect, it's more that Chairman Clayton is trying to find a compromise, a way around the cap, and um, how to have the discretion to impose it without actually calling it a cap. Yeah, that seems like the – it seems like the most intelligent thing to do. And most times Chairman Clayton does seem to be interested in finding consensus and doing the most intelligent thing so long as it's also in step with what he wants, which is certainly light years beyond what most of the Trump administration is doing. So he might just be trying to do the good thing as best he can here. So uh, it could be conspiratorial. It could be something as mundane as food poisoning, or it could be uh, another reason. It, you know, it, it could entirely be something we don't even know about. What we do know is that this meeting 
rather abruptly was canceled, and they say it will be scheduled for uh, sometime in November. We do know that Commissioners Jackson and Lee are opposed to it. We do know that other outside groups are itching to file suit against this if it comes to pass. And we do know that there's a lot of strong arguments to say that the cap is like it doesn't have any basis in statute. Um, so we, if you line up all of that, then, okay, playing for time for another few weeks to figure out a way not to have that unwelcome outcome makes a lot of sense. Um, and I would say, you know, for compliance officers, I would always just keep in mind, as juicy as this is for whistleblower politics, the compliance officer's interest is more in giving protection to the whistleblower so he or she can speak up about misconduct. Um, that is not the same as giving them uh, easier access to large awards. It's not the same as giving them um, you know, a harder time to submit outside tips. A lot of what we're talking about here is of great interest to the plaintiff's bar. It is of less interest to corporate compliance officers so long as whistleblowers and their ability to feel comfortable to speak up, so long as that's being protected. And so far, most of it is. Like that's really where your interest is. Matt, it seems like uh, not only is this breaking news, but it's one we're going to uh, be able to follow for some time going forward. I hope so, Tom. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you again for listening to this episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. If you have any questions of Matt, he can be reached at mkelly at radicalcompliance.com. You can reach me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. We'll link to Matt's blog post on this topic in our show notes. I hope you'll join us again next week where Matt and I take up another topic which catches our eye and we go into the weeds upon. Compliance Into the Weeds is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network and a proud member of C-Suite Radio. Thanks again for listening. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.